Seven decades ago, the first television adaptation of Superman arrived. Now, it's time to rocket back to the 1952-1958 series Adventures of Superman, starring George Reeves. In this rewatch podcast, my guests and I break down each episode, from its black-and-white crime drama beginnings to the kid-friendly color seasons, as we celebrate one of the most underrated Man of Steel depictions of all time. Welcome to another exciting episode in the Adventures of Superman. I'm your host, Anthony Desiato. Joining me to discuss Season 1, Episode 8, The Mind Machine, is the editor-in-chief of Krypton Site and K-Site TV, Craig Byrne. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me on. This is this is a really fun episode, at least from my perspective. We haven't really compared notes beforehand, but I think we'll have a great time discussing it. Not only is it your first time on this show, it's our first episode of 2023, and it's also the first video edition of the podcast for those who are watching along on YouTube. Uh, so welcome to our YouTube audience. And of course, we're still available in our audio-only form as well. So more places for people to hopefully uh, discover and enjoy the show. But thank you for joining me for this. Yeah, thank you for having me on. I really like the black and white episodes. And I love Phyllis Coates as Lois also. I mean, Noah Mill's also fantastic. But it's just fun to this early episode, clearly before the show completely knew what it would be, like there wasn't a lot of Jimmy Olsen, for example. I thought it was interesting. Absolutely. On the note of Phyllis Coates, this has become a little bit of a recurring theme on this podcast. Uh, and, and multiple guests have expressed the, the similar sentiment about preferring Phyllis Coates to Noel Neal, even though we all have a tremendous amount of affection for Noel Neal. But uh, mm -hmm. Phyllis Coates does seem to be the winner, uh, at least from the conversations that I've had so far. So you're, you're, uh, you're among friends with that opinion here. <laughs> well, I think I'm also kind of biased because she was the first 1950s Lois I ever saw because she guest starred in the season one episode of Lois and Clark as Lois Lane's mother. So I always had a little affinity for, her. I mean, I know, she, I know they showed adventures of Superman on Nick at night, but I don't think I really got to see it much until the DVD era. And then, um, you know, of course, now it's Noel Neal and Kirk Allen on the train in Superman the movie, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that was actually one of the first things that I wanted to ask you, which is typically how I begin with my guests, is trying to get a sense of your history with Adventures of Superman and, and, and what, if any, role it played in your Superman fandom. So I know you said maybe you caught a little bit on Nick at Night when growing up. Yeah, I caught a little bit on Nick at Night, and of course, the episode of I Love Lucy with Superman is one of my favorite TV episodes ever. So I was very aware of George Reeves and what he meant to the whole history of Superman. And for some reason, I think I was familiar with Jack Larson's Jimmy, because I feel like he was the focus of a lot of the episodes Nick at Night would show. I was also familiar with Jack Larson because, you know, he was the iconic, like, Jimmy Olsen in the 1950s. I think they even considered giving him his own show at one point. I mean, obviously, he inspired that Jimmy Olsen comic that was out for, like, 20 years, going into the 70s. But, um, yeah, and then he appeared on an episode of Lois and Clark called Brutal Youth, where Jimmy Olsen was aged into an older Jimmy. And I thought that was so cool and such a nice tribute. And, of course, he was Bibbo in Superman Returns. Um, so yeah, you know, I had some familiarity with some of the people from the show and there's just a certain magic about the show. Like I love the sets. They're kind of simple. I know like the first scene in this episode that we watched this week looked like it was filmed in somebody's attic, you know, it's just fantastic. So, um, yeah, that's, and of course the opening titles, who can go wrong with that? I mean, I think we all grew up hearing those statements, whether or not we'd ever seen the show or not. It's so true. And I have to say, I, I love doing this podcast and I'm always happy to do the homework, but you know, sometimes it's late at night when I'm popping in an episode to watch, uh, you know, before a recording or something like that. And it doesn't matter what, you know, what my level of fatigue, it doesn't matter what my state of mind, as soon as those opening credits start it just it just gets you pumped up and it pulls you right in so mm -hmm. uh, i'm totally with you on that so it sounds then like this show in particular not not a tentpole of your superman fandom no. necessarily probably the introduction to my superman fandom in live action was christopher reeve sure like i even remember being on a vacation as a young kid when they did the extended cut on abc one night 
Gotcha. Or if it was over two nights, I can't remember. But I remember we got a room with a color TV. They still said color TV on the hotels back then. Just so I could watch Superman. So and I had Superman bed sheets too, for what for what it's worth. Nice. Nice. <laughs> well, I'm glad that you had the DVDs at least, so you were able to watch these. We've lamented on virtually every episode so far about the frustrating lack of availability of a lot of these. So thankfully you had the DVDs and, and you were able to watch. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that was I mean, they released this I think around like two thousand six, around the time they started releasing Superboy. But, you know, it's ridiculous that this isn't on HBO Max or something like that because it's TV history. Yes. Uh, again, and I think TV history should be preserved. I'm but. with you. Again, this another theme uh, on this podcast so far. So, <laughs> okay, this episode in particular, The Mind Machine, again, season one, episode eight, aired November 7th, 1952, and uh, was directed by Lee Sholem and written by Lee Backman and Dennis Cooper. Uh, a few guests that I wanted to uh, mention here. So uh, Griff Barnett played Dr. Stanton. Uh, Stephen Carr, brother of director Tommy Carr, uh, was uncredited. Oh, wow. He played Hadley, Dr. Stanton's assistant. Now, we've mentioned uh, Stephen Carr previously, uh, I think most recently in the Night of Terror episode. He's the travel agent that Clark calls to try to get <laughs> the name of the motel, and he really takes his time. He's eating his sandwich and drinking his coffee, and he like meanders over to the filing cabinet. Uh, what I didn't realize until I pulled up his IMDb page was how many episodes in season one he pops up and it's over a dozen, often in these very, very small roles. This episode was a larger showcase for him, which yeah. we'll talk about. Uh, but I wanted to mention him. And then Dan Seymour, who played Lou Cranick, our organized crime boss, um, he did a few episodes of the Adam West Batman show. Uh, huh. And more more relevant for us, he pops up in a couple more season one episodes of this show, including <laughs> the standout uh, the Stolen Costume episode, season one, episode 13, which I'm really excited mm -hmm. to get to in a few episodes. One of the, I think, most memorable episodes, not just of this season, but of the entire series. So we'll be seeing him again a couple more times. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. So was this Steve Carr person just like a recurring player at the studio or something? Yeah. I, I mean, I'm not uh, totally sure, uh, but he was the brother of Tommy Carr who directed half of the the season one episodes. So he oh, that would also know, make sense. had that connection. And so I guess he was on hand and, and would, would, would jump in as needed. So uh, again, there are a lot of instances where it's just a very, you know, kind of more of a bit part, uh, but then an instance like this where he's really a, a featured player in the episode. Yeah. Um, another thing I just want to bring up since we're starting near the beginning of the episode is... I didn't realize until I was much older that Jay Gruska's Lois and Clark theme is adapted from this. Or did you realize that? I did not realize that. <laughs> Listen to both of them back to back. Okay. It's got the same beats. Ah, see, I'm too ignorant when it, when it comes to music to be able to point that out, to pull that out of my own. But now that I've been tipped yeah. off to that, I'll, I'll, I'll definitely give that a yeah. listen. Yeah, it's kind of cool. I mean, it's a great score. And I love that it's like appearing in national publication magazines or something like that. It wasn't like DC comics right, or anything like that. I thought that that credit was kind of cute. Yeah, for sure. So let's give a, an overview of the episode. Here is my synopsis. Previously, I've been reading from the DVD set, but I've often found... Oh, sure. <laughs> oh good. Got my mic. All good. Uh, I've been reading the, the DVD uh, synopses that are listed in the sets, but I've often find them somewhat lacking, that they don't fully encapsulate uh, what I want them to. So here's here's my synopsis for this episode. Organized okay. crime boss Lou Cranick kidnaps Dr. Stanton and his hypnotherapy transmitter, aka the mind machine. He uses this to sabotage the committee hearings against him by damaging the minds of the witnesses, ultimately causing their deaths. Clark and Dr. Stanton's assistant, Hadley, must race against the clock to find the device before Lois gives her testimony. So that's sort of our overview of the episode here. Acme Comics is a locally owned and operated full-service comic book store in Greensboro, North Carolina for people of all ages and walks of life. Now in its 40th year, this multiple-time Eisner Award nominee features a significant contemporary and vintage back-issue selection as the Acme team uses their collective knowledge and resources to connect you with the best material. Mail order subscriptions to new releases are available and all offerings are available anywhere via mail order. Follow Acme on social media and eBay, listen to the Acme cast on all podcast services, 
and visit acmecomics.com for much more. Oh yeah, Comics celebrates and promotes everything that is wonderful about comics, toys, artwork, and the joy they bring to people. Visit them in person at one of their three locations, Harrison, New York, which happens to be my local comic shop, Skokie, Illinois, or Muncie, Indiana. If you have children and have been looking for a family-friendly store, look no further. Join Aw Yeah for exciting events, including creator signings, how-tos, and more. Visit awyeahcomics.com and follow Aw Yeah on social media for more. Their name says exactly how they feel about it. Say it with me. Aw Yeah! Fat Moose Comics is New Jersey's best and oldest comic book store. Established in 1982 and under new ownership since 2020, Moose sells a wide selection of new and old comics from every publisher, action figures, graphic novels, posters, statues, and more. If you're looking for something and they don't have it, they can probably get it for you. They know a guy. Visit Fat Moose in Whippany, New Jersey the next time you're in the Garden State. And be sure to reach out via the Fat Moose Comics Facebook page. Yeah, can we also just mention that Dr. Stanton also created a perfect like camera to see through? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, wait a minute. <clears throat> this is the real invention here. Like perfect picture and everything. With a 25 mile radius. Yeah, I love that. It was very specific, 25 miles. And then, like, later, it's like, oh, they're in the mountains 20 miles away. That's convenient. Yes, exactly. Um, <laughs> so, there, there, there's a lot that I want to pick your brain about with this episode. Let me, okay. let me just ask you, though, overall big picture impressions of this episode. Like, what did you think? Did you enjoy this? Was it kind of a slog to get through? Were you into it? What, what was the reaction watching it? I was into it. Like I said, I, I might have said this before we started recording. I love these black and white episodes. They seem a bit darker, um, maybe a bit more violent. Um, I, I'm trying to think. I also just living in California, it's fascinating to see how it looked 70 years ago. Like I was trying to figure out like where certain scenes were filmed. Like clearly when we saw the oil wells is probably near Long Beach, but you know, you don't see roads looking like that anymore, but you know that was a thing back then. Or even like Los Angeles City Hall being the Daily Planet is hilarious to me. And, and you know, there was a Supergirl episode in season one that was filmed right in front of City Hall. Oh, so, was there? Yeah, when they still filmed in L.A. Gotcha. So that's kind of cool. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think um, specifics. I mean, there are certain logic jumps like... Oh, Hadley goes and talks to Clark Kent about what's wrong and because he's a newspaper man. And what does Clark do? He just places an ad in the paper. Why doesn't Clark write an article about Dr. Stanton missing? You know, that jumped out at me, too, because, yes, we have this whole sequence where Hadley shows up. He's been instructed not to go to the police, right? Kranich and his guys, they bust into the laboratory. They, they grab Stanton. They grab the machine. Uh, and they, they give this very stern warning not to go to the police. And so, uh, you know, a couple scenes later, we have Hadley in Clark's office. And Clark had, uh, you know, reported on Dr. Stanton before, and Stanton had spoken highly of Clark. So that was that was the connection in Hadley's mind. And, you know, Clark, I think, tries to temper Hadley's expectations about what he'll be able to accomplish. But he, he <laughs> leaves him on this note of, like, I have an idea. I'll see what I can do. Make sure you keep an eye on the, you know, the the, the personal section of the newspaper tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> and then, yeah, there's this ad of, you know, we're look, and looking for information about Dr. Stanton, you know, large reward, contact the Daily Planet. And yeah, I don't know. It's like, I was thinking about that too. It's like, that was his big play? Well, there's also the question, does, Doc, does Hadley know that Clark is Superman, maybe? And that's why he went to him, because like, yeah, you know, maybe you know somebody who can help, wink, wink. I mean, I don't want to skip ahead to the end of the episode, but if he did know, he really could have saved himself a clock to the a face. <laughs> that was hilarious. I, I think that's the thing. It's kind of, it's kind of charming. Some of the logic jumps. I also was amused when the bus was going down the hill and it was clearly empty. Yeah, <laughs> you know, there were no children to be seen. Even even when it stopped and you you heard the children talking, but you didn't see them. Like, oh, it's Superman, you know, that was fun. Yeah. I want to circle back to that because I, you know, it's interesting watching these episodes. I think that the the majority of them, the season one episodes in particular, it's 
some configuration of the Daily Planet staff investigating for most of the episode and then the Superman save at the end. And, you know, sometimes you'll have Superman action midway through the episode. And this is clearly an example of that, but it's not just a, you know, quick pop in. It's, it's an extended set piece here, which was, was pretty cool. And it was neat to see how they were able to bring this to life. And, you know, one of the things I was thinking of is I think it's easy to look at something like this show, especially through modern you know, uh, you know, adult yeah. eyes in 2023 and, and in light of everything that we've seen on screen uh, in recent years and, and look at this and, yeah. and see the limitations of it. But for me, it's the opposite. I look at this and I say to myself, man, this was yeah. 70 years ago. Look what they were able to, uh, to accomplish. It's, it's really pretty cool. That actually crossed my mind for two reasons. Uh, one reason was it amazes me how much they could film outside. Whereas today I feel like there would be, so many restrictions over permits and all that. Like it's just, you know, they were able to do a lot with it. I think maybe they had more power, but also I was just thinking about 1952, how amazing it is that a big movie actor was doing a TV series to begin with George Reeves playing Superman. But like, I feel like after the show and especially when the Christopher Reeve movie came out, there might have been a prevailing feeling that, oh, a big hero like Superman is too expensive to do on TV. And yes, they did do Superboy, they did Lois and Clark, but it still, you know, was kind of minimized. And in Superboy's chase case, a little bit on the cheap side. But, um, I mean, now we can see Superman is done on TV again. But, you know, it was difficult. Now, it makes me wonder, too, about other, like, major comic book characters, like... I think most people would say, no, you'd never get a Spider-Man TV show now. But we had one in 1977. So if it could be done then, it could be done now. And so like, I would be curious how a show in this vein would be, like, not like a family drama like Superman and Lois or teen drama like Smallville. But if you just had a straight-up Superman thing like that, would people have even accepted it if it didn't have like the supervillains they want? And it was just, you know, Craddock or whatever his name is, who is doing a mind machine to get out, get out of trouble. I also got a big laugh out of uh, the guy who was controlled by the mind machine at the testimony. He's like, I don't know him. And it was just so fake. It was kind of hilarious. Yes. Well, that's an interesting question about, you know, what, what fans would accept and what the reaction would be. I'm, I'm sure it would be divided, uh, which, uh, really, yeah, I think fans divided, I think it probably would be, but yeah, no, it's, uh, you know, again, that's one of the things in, in doing this podcast and going back at, and looking at the show again, uh, just, you know, having such an appreciation for what the show brought to life. And yes, we had the Fleischer cartoons, but of course those were short and, and very, I mean, they're beautiful, they're gorgeous, but they were very action yeah. heavy. And, and yes, there was the radio show. And I, I don't want to minimize the importance of that because that, you know, it introduced the character to so many people. It ran for so long, right. but, and, and I, all, you know, <laughs> rattling off my disclaimers here, I also don't want to discount the Kirk Allen serials, but having watched those not too long ago, uh, I, I don't think they, they reach the heights of adventures of Superman. And, 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 you know, so you have this show that ran for quite a while and was the introduction to this character for generations of kids, not just in the initial airing, but then subsequent decades in syndication. And and so, uh, you know, this show really, I think, just brought a lot of integrity to the character. And, and again, in a lot of ways, really holds up today. But I think it's not just Superman who is treated with integrity. I think Perry, Jimmy, Lois, even Clark just stand out so much like you know who the characters are and I feel as an audience member like when you have that like little wink type thing from Clark at the end of almost every episode like yeah I wonder what if Superman was here ha 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 you know um it, it's comfortable but it's also very Superman like everything is what you expect it to be and you also have to consider the comics at that time, you know, they were getting in the Weisinger era where you had like Beppo, the super monkey and all kinds of, maybe it was a couple of years earlier, but it feels like this is a lot more grounded. I don't know if the show itself gets as silly as time goes on. Yes. 
So we'll get there in the color seasons. I, I, right now, I'm so okay. happy. That's the thing. I'm so happy being yeah. in these black and white years. Yes. And and this first season in particular, it is it is very grounded. It's very gritty. It has this noirish aspect. Not so much in this episode, maybe, but no. in, in a lot of the other season one episodes. And and yes, the tone will change, and especially when we get into the color years. But these early episodes, in particular, season one, I mean, it really it really calls to mind the golden age Superman, which I am a, I'm a big fan yeah. of. So it's cool. To I see. really liked. Oh, sorry. No, no, go ahead. No, I was going to say, I really liked, I remember when I was younger, I saw, I think it was called The Unknown People or The Underground People. It was that story that I think they put into a movie at one point. Yeah, it was a movie first, so Superman and the Mole oh, Okay. And then it so was, there we go. And then it was later uh, modified in the way it's presented on the DVD. It's the two-part, uh, The Unknown People. Oh. And that comes at the end of there season one on the DVDs. Because that was so good. I, I that like There's some images from that that still stick with me today. So nice. I do appreciate that. So I guess I do have that in my Superman knowledge history. Gotcha. You know, one up. of the one of the things I wanted to ask you, and this is okay. sort of a, a big picture, you know, question with respect to this episode, because we have this mind machine. And thus far, and in terms of what we're going to see over most of the rest of this first season, they are very grounded stories, very down to earth. Uh, there was an earlier episode, uh, the monkey mystery, where we had this Eastern European scientist and the secret formula that he was trying to smuggle out of the country and, and get to the president of the United States. But, you know, even then, we're not dealing with the realm of, you know, magic or supernatural or, or uh, aliens or other dimensions or, or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, it's crooks and gangsters and organized crime. Like, that's really the you know, w w what these episodes are built around, especially in this first season, this episode still has that, right? But yeah, we do, this is, I, I think it's fair to say, this is one of the more fantastical uh, episodes of the first season where we have this mind machine, the hypnotherapy transmitter, as it's called, right? Designed mm -hmm. to, to uh, you know, for therapeutic, you know, beneficial use, right, in, in helping patients deal with phobias and other mental afflictions, right. but obviously misused by Kranich in this case. But the idea of a mind machine with the that can transmit over twenty five miles, and and to your point, <laughs> actually uh, show you an image, right, of of what it's what it's being yeah. to uh, across this distance through walls and, and all of that. It's it's definitely a departure. Now I know you've not been immersed in this in all these episodes yeah. the, the way I have been, but you know, just even in and of itself, or what you remember from the show generally, do you? I, I don't know. Just like, what is your take on that? Do you do you feel like this is kind of in keeping with what you remember from the show generally? Does it yes. feel like a departure for you? No, not at all. To me, like my other like mental picture of the show would be. Superman beating up a bunch of bad guys in a room and then trampolining out the window. That's pretty much the show for me. Like, you know, in my memories, um, I did notice, and I apologize if I'm skipping ahead, but I felt like in one of the fight scenes that was clearly not George Reeves fighting. Correct. <laughs> okay. Okay. I wasn't just imagining things. Okay. That's good. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, so, you know, just on the note of, of the format, it's interesting. So for the episodes thus far, I've gone pretty strictly scene by scene. And for this episode, I wanted to try a little bit of okay. a different approach. So the fact that we've been jumping around a little bit more is fine. And that's why I gave a little okay. bit more of a thorough synopsis at the beginning. And audience, Perfect. let me know what you... Please, audience, let me know what you prefer. If you like the stricter scene by scene, we can circle back to that. If you like a little bit more of a fluid approach, I'm not entirely sure where I land on it yet either. We'll see when we get to the end of this episode. But we have 104 of these to do. So uh, we, we'll, we'll probably employ some different approaches along the way <laughs> just to mix it up a little bit. So. <laughs> but yes, we will circle back to the, the stuntman for sure. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I wanted to talk about sort of this, the fantastical nature of this. I guess for me it works. It's because it doesn't feel like it's so out there, right? It is no. still grounded in science. It's a science beyond what what exists and certainly what existed then. But it's not, again, it's not so outlandish. And it, it does still have that tether to Kranich and the organized crime and the, the, the gangsters right. that we've been accustomed to. So I feel like it right. walks a nice line, actually. Yeah, it did walk a nice line. And like I said, some of the stuff that might be considered unbelievable is just fun, if that makes any sense. Like the notion that, you know, was it Hadley would come in and 
see Clark. I mean, that was a little silly, but if you think about it, some of the later stuff like Lois and Clark worked the same way. I mean, the Lois and Clark pilot started with a scientist coming in to try to tell Lois something and then getting carted away. So it's a format. It's a formula that works. And the fact that they tell a full story in 24 minutes is also kind of fun. Like, um, you know, like I don't remember how old your kid is, but I assume at some point your kid is going to love this show. I hope so. He's three now. And when he gets a little older, yeah, I, I, I hope he does. This would be great. This Superman, the animated series, anything I, you know, when he gets older, Smallville, like any of this, I would love to rewatch, but yeah, yeah, I I think, you know, there's something to be said for, you know, the, the done in one. I mean, it's funny because there, there are instances where I say to myself, again, modern lens, it would be great to have some sort of some sort of storyline across episodes. Yeah, I mean, I've talked before. It's, right. it's it's interesting to me that they never used Lex. Lex was used in yes. the serials, so there was a there was a precedent for it. Easily brought to life on a television budget, and could have you know could have appeared a few times per season, and and given a little structure, a little you know, kind of been the power behind certain episodes or things like that. But uh, there's also something to be said for these these done in one uh, installments, and especially this first season, as we've said, and I think every episode so far. Uh, they're not airing in the order in which they were shot. So you, you can't even look at these episodes and think about like, oh, they were building to this or that. It, it's that, That's not the case. So you really take each of these in a vacuum in a sense. You do eventually get some like recurring supporting characters that keep coming back though, right? Yes. Yeah, we will like get to Professor that. Professor Potter or something like that. Who's yeah, Pepperwinkle. Yeah. Oh, Pe- Pepperwinkle. Oh, wow. What a name. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need to watch some more of these episodes, I think. They're Just, great. You know, it's comfortable. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And I, okay. I I would say this episode in particular, uh, just again, as far as, you know, big picture goes, I, man, I had, I had a lot of fun. I've enjoyed, well, this is only episode eight, but, you know, I have enjoyed each of them so far, but to varying degrees. Uh, I thought this one was just crackling. I mean, it really, it had a lot of momentum. It moved. I felt like this one moved so fast. Like, and that's not to say that other episodes have dragged per se, but just as a good counterpoint, I suppose, we talked a couple episodes ago about Night of Terror, where Lois is held mm-hmm. hostage at the motel. Great episode. But that episode it purposely plays with with the pacing, where it's very slow and methodical at the beginning, and then it ramps up as we go along, uh, and that works. But again, the beginning part is is uh, is a little bit slower as it's pulling you in. This, I felt really moved to the point where when we got, I was surprised, like it felt like it had just started when we got to the end. I don't know if you had a a different reaction, but that's, that was my take. Well, I was going to say something about the moving fast. Was it my imagination or were there some scenes where they did a higher frame rate? So like the cars are going faster. I I, I believe so. It it definitely had that. It definitely had that look to it. I did think it was amusing and I don't know if it was intentional that Lois was driving the car. Like maybe the implication is Clark doesn't have a car, so Lois has to drive. That jumped so I out enjoyed at me. that too. You know, that jumped out at me too. And she drives a lot when it's the two of them. And mm-hmm. going back to, for example, the case of the talkative dummy, uh, episode three, she's driving and Clark sees with his x-ray vision that Jimmy Olsen is stuck in a safe dangling outside a window. And so, you know, he mm-hmm. jumps out of the car, right? So there, maybe that was more a matter of convenience, right? Because he needed to right. get out. But it's cool. I, I, that jumped out at me, too, because I'm saying to myself, I mean, Lois in and of herself, and especially the Phyllis Coates version, definitely ahead of her time in terms oh, of, absolutely. you know, what what you would see or what you would think of, uh, you know, uh, for, for a woman of, of the day. And I think even more so putting her in that position of, of driving it. It was really cool. I like that. Yeah, I liked that, too. I kind of like wanted to see more of Lois, actually. Of course, I say that for almost every project. But... Um, I just like also the fact that she's one of the top two. Well, she is the best reporter at the Daily Planet, Clark's number two. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like in the 1950s, when, you know, like career women didn't really exist on television, you had June Cleaver with her pearls while she's in the kitchen, you know, that sort of thing. And here's Lois Lane busting balls and doing what she needs to do to get the story. And she's also so brave. Like the fact that she still would testify. Yes. But I do so I want to talk about that. Cause I did have, I did have some issues with, with the fact that these committee hearings persist 
despite the deaths of three witnesses. Yeah. Well, I'm a little more concerned by the notion that the same headlines were on every newspaper, <laughs> except for the main headline. Did you notice that? <laughs> Not, I don't think I, I don't think I totally clocked. Yeah. That. Like there were a couple stories that were repeated and they had just changed the main headline. And I'm like, Oh boy, <laughs> but we're not supposed to notice those things. You know, back then. Look, and, and we'll talk more in a second, but you know, we talk about the stunt man, the very obvious stunt man. And this is not yeah. the first episode where that's happened. Like I said before, it's, it's when you think about how these were first watched on on a black and white on a small black and white television yeah. without the ability to pause or rewind you know it's like who could have foreseen that one day people would be watching these you know on 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 giant on giant screens and have the ability to to freeze it and, and zoom in you know so it's like for the time and especially for a younger audience like you wouldn't notice it but now of course it it really stands out <laughs> well it's like i recently was watching something from the 80s i was watching the original dallas and like you could tell which episodes were filmed on a soundstage because the farm set ended at the end of the garage, you know, that sort of thing. But on a similar note, you would see somebody at a mall and you could see clearly see a Culver City Mall sign in the background. That's Los Angeles, you know, but they just didn't think that we would look at those things 40, 50, in this case, 70 years later. Yeah, exactly. Like, yeah. Um, or, you know, what I was talking about with, uh, uh, the bus going down the hill, you know, it was happening so fast. Kids might not have noticed there's nobody in the bus. Was that a model by the way? Or do you think that was a real bus? Oh, that's a good question. I'm not positive, but okay. I know they, I think they say at one point that there's only three kids on the bus. Okay. So, and you know, you see them when the bus is stopped, but yeah, when, so at least they, they I, I, I cut them a little slack. So it's like, we're not, we're all dealing with a smaller, smaller group to begin with. So if we're not seeing them quite as, as it's going down, I, I can, I can get around, get over that, I suppose. But I, I thought this was yeah. a great sequence. A couple of things stood out to me. So, you know, you mentioned Lois driving. So we're at the point in the episode, Kranich has forced Stanton to use the, the my machine on the first witness in these, in this crime committee hearing. And like you said, the, the, the witness has this, uh, uh, you know, very, <laughs> very exaggerated reaction to being uh, mind controlled, <laughs> but, you know, claims that he doesn't know who Kranich is and then, you know, beelines out of there and uh, steals this woman's car with her still in it and Lois and Clark race after. <laughs> that was fun too. And uh, yes. And so seeing Lois drive was really cool. Uh, you know, we get to the portion of this, this, this runaway bus and, and the witness again, uh, jumps into the bus and speeds off while the driver is is tightening the brakes. Uh, one of the things that I've sort of been tracking in my mind is instances of cowardly Clark. So one of the first episodes of this show that I ever watched a couple of years ago, uh, not, not that wasn't the first time I watched it, but when I started really watching the show in earnest, I skipped mm -hmm. ahead to the legendary Panic in the Sky episode from season two. Oh. Yes. It's the best. Great episode. The best. Adapted also on, on Lois and Clark. On Lois and Clark. All shook a, up. Yeah, it was a great one. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, at the beginning of that episode, Panic in the Sky, you know, Lois makes this crack to, to Perry and Jimmy about, you know, where Clark might be. And she's like, oh, he's probably hiding on, in a basement somewhere. And I, I was saying to myself, you know, do we see, I guess, is a comment like that earned? Because my take on this Clark, he's so confident, he's so authoritative, he's so capable in so much of what we see yeah. in this show. However, so this is why I'm kind of keeping my eye on this as, as we're going. And this is a good example here when the bus speeds off and Lois mm -hmm. wants to do something and Clark's like, oh, well, someone should help the woman in the car yeah. that the witness had stolen. I mean, it's a small moment. It's not, it's not the biggest thing in the world, but it does point to this idea that, hey, there's a larger danger here that we can try to avert. But he's, you know, he seemingly doesn't want to to uh, you know endure that risk so i, I appreciate that that does bring up the question though of like you know whenever but i thought it was a little odd at the end of the episode where everybody's like well what were you doing this whole time clark why wasn't i mean how did he explain that he was no longer in the plane with the guy who passed out why didn't he just say oh i took the wheel and landed it for you i don't know <laughs> or why doesn't he just say superman helped us get down yeah, you know, so <laughs> that is a very good question. So we we get to the point in the episode where Clark and Hadley have this idea 
So now they're putting a little more thought into it. It's not just putting out an ad in the newspaper for information. <laughs> yeah. there's, there's this idea that this mind machine is drawing a lot of energy. So if they had the appropriate radar equipment, they would be able to see a power surge and be able to pinpoint where Stanton and the machine are. And so Hadley suggests that they take out Dr. Stanton's private plane, which Hadley is knows how to fly. And so Clark and Hadley are on this little plane and they think they have some time before Lois testifies, but Clark calls up Perry and realizes that the testimony has been moved up. So now they're on a very, very tight deadline here. And they've seen some, they've seen a blip on the radar. They have a sense, okay, this is where the mind machine is. And again, this was one of my favorite moments <laughs> from the episode. It just made me laugh. Clark is like, look, and he just clocks Hadley to knock him out. So, and he, of course, he puts the autopilot on first, thankfully. Uh, but he knocks Hadley out so that he can he can leave the plane and, and turn into Superman. But it's just so it's just a different version of Superman, a different incarnation of the mythology. But you know, I mean, I think about there's that I know there's more than one, but one clear instance I remember from Smallville, and I'm sure you do as well, where Clark flicks Lex to knock him out. Sort of remember that. Uh, yeah, it's it's. I forget. I forget which episode or season, but I think they were at Luther Corp or something like that. It was, was it the uh -huh. Justice episode? No, I might. I'm. I'm I think I'm conflating no. things. But but there was definitely at least that one instance where Clark needed to knock Lex out, and it was just this quick flick. And I think in other instances, comics or, or wherever, you, you know, you would kind of see something like that. Not this show. Not this era. You yeah. get that punch. You know, this gets me thinking. You know, we were talking about the eras of the comics. This, in some situations, especially in dealing with like gangsters and such, this is very much like the early issues of action comics. Yeah. You know, like the very early golden age where he's just like punching people left and right. And people who did wrong, to be fair. He's not going to just punch anybody. But um, like it just reminds me of picking up those old DC Comics archives books and reading the really old stories. Yeah. Fun stuff. No, absolutely. I love I love that golden age incarnation, and and these season one episodes really really call those to mind because, as I've said a lot, this Superman engages in fisticuffs in this first mm -hmm. season in particular in a way that you really don't see as the show moves on. I think you still get some of it in season two, but by the time we get to the color seasons, at most, you know, he's either throwing them or he's doing the karate chop. We get to the point in the series where he just will just kind of you know do a little a little thing like that, but here. He's throwing punches. It's 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 just so visceral and it's a different way. You know, we see Superman fight other Kryptonians or Brainiac or superpowered yeah. villains. But you never see him mixing. I mean, understandably so. We deal with a which with a much more uh, powerful version of the character if he were doing that, yeah. he would be killing them. But it, like I said, there's just something very visceral and and well, yeah. I'm surprised that we have yet to bring up the most amusing part of the episode. I'm sure you know where I'm going with this. Go, no, you go for it. The familiar adventures of Superman trope where they shoot at him and then they throw the gun at him and he ducks. Yes. <laughs> yes. And that was the stuntman. That was the stuntman who ducked. That was the stuntman because oh, I was so amused by that because like everything was boom, boom, boom. And then they threw the gun. He's like, you know, I know. that amused the heck out of me. I, you know, it, it, but it's charming in its own way. So it's not like it's bad. It's like, yeah, no, I, no, I, I agree. It's uh, and, and it's the sort of thing kids watching this back in the day probably didn't think twice about it, but you know, as we're, as we're watching it, we're watching well, it closely. We're discussing it. Of course it stands out. <laughs> but also if a kid is watching the show, they know if you throw something at you, you should duck. Yeah. I mean, who says that Clark just like a human being wouldn't just be alarmed by something being thrown at him and just duck instinctively, even though he doesn't have to. Oh, that's a good point. Thank you to all members of my Patreon community for supporting this podcast. If you like what you hear and are not a member yet, please consider signing up today at patreon.com slash Anthony Desiato. We offer a variety of monthly reward tiers and discounted annual memberships are available too. Beginning at the $1 level, you can listen to Digging for Justice my exclusive DC movie rewatch podcast. Click the link in the show notes for more. If you're looking for other ways to support the show, leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcast goes a long way and only takes a second. 
You're also welcome to join the conversation on social media via the links in the show notes. Last but not least, we are an affiliate of BCW Supplies, so the next time you need to restock on comic book bags, boards, boxes, and more, be sure to use promo code FSP to save 10% on your order. That's FSP for Flat Squirrel Productions. It helps support the show too. Thank you. Filmmakers and movie fans alike should be sure to attend these film festivals. Brightside Tavern in Jersey City, Hang On to Your Shorts in Asbury Park, Point Lookout on Long Island, and In the Cut in Bloomfield, New Jersey. On a personal note, my short film, By Spoon, The J. Mizell Story, played at these fests, so I know firsthand what fun and well-run events they are. Submission information for filmmakers, as well as details about the festivals, can be found at filmfreeway.com. Follow the festivals on social media for news about events, discounts, tickets, and more. Also, listen to the Hang On To Your Shorts and Cullen On Film podcasts, available via a shared universe network. This episode made possible in part by educator, hobby comic book collector, and pop culture enthusiast Sam Lim. Sam just moved to the South Jersey area and is looking to connect with other comics fans as well as retailers. They are also looking for comic shops to explore, so recommendations are welcome. Be sure to follow Sam on Instagram at SZLComics. But I, I thought that was fun. I mean, again, it was like charming. But yeah, that was the sequence with the stunt double, who was very obviously a stunt double. Yes. And not George Reeves. Yeah. Uh, silly personal anecdote, but when else would I have an opportunity to tell this? So when I was in elementary <laughs> school, I played basketball. It was a local, like, mm-hmm. uh, uh, through the town. It was dad's club of basketball. And I was okay. I was not tremendously athletic as a kid, but I, I could, I was a good defender and I could shoot. So I had that going for me anyway. And I did not mm-hmm. have the height, but in elementary school, it didn't matter. Anyway. So before one of our <laughs> games, we were just warming up, you know, you're doing your layups and, mm-hmm. and, and things like that. And one of my teammates threw, was throwing the ball to one of my other teammates. It was not intended for me, but I was kind of in the way. So I ducked. Again, this was just during the, the warm-up before the game. Mm-hmm. Man, my parents have roasted me for this ever since. Anytime we talk about my tenure as, uh, playing basketball, it's like, oh, that time you ducked. It's like, I was ducking because it wasn't meant for me. We were just warming up. <laughs> I needed to get this off my chest for a long time. <laughs> well, now your entire listenership, viewership is going to hear about it. That's yeah. awesome. I just, I was justified. I, I've never lived this down with them. Man. All right. Well, just, you need to tell your parents Superman ducks when people throw guns at his head. Now I want Superman and Lois to do that this season. Yeah. That'd Good be great. Clark, you know, <laughs> that'd be great. But, you know, so going back to this bus thing, I, I think you're right. You definitely see it sped up. I, again, I, whether, at what point we might have been dealing with a model that I'm not positive. Uh, maybe I can find out and, and I can, I can include yeah. that in a future episode, but you get, like I said, it's a, it's a pretty extensive action sequence in the middle of this episode, yeah. which was, which was pretty exhilarating. Now, speaking of stuntman and the special effects and all of this. So I think most people familiar with the show are aware of how Superman's takeoffs and landings were done, right? That there was the board mm-hmm. that he would jump off of to take off and then, Uh, would kind of swing in when he was landing. And they evolved that process because initially there, there was some wire work and George Reeves was injured. Right. And so after that, he didn't want to be up on the, on the wires for those takeoffs and landings. In this episode, this one is kind of an outlier. I don't know how many other instances we're going to see of this in this first season. I'll, I'll keep an eye out for it. But if you noticed during that whole bus sequence in the middle of the episode, yeah. There are a couple of times where you see, I mean, this is unusual for the show. Normally, again, he's just like he runs and jumps out of frame and that's it. But here, you right, see yeah. him take you off. You saw him take off. And one, yeah. Yeah. So we had I the stuntman being pulled by the wires and you got a couple of those. It was a different way of seeing the, the action realized on the screen. Did you, what did you think of that? Well, I was just wondering if maybe it was easier to do in black and white. Yeah. Visual effects. You know, maybe that might be a thing, but... Yeah, I you know, thinking about it, I did think some of the sequences looked better than I thought they would for 1952. I love the shot of him underneath the plane landing it. I know that's later in the episode, but it's just... Uh, and that's reminiscent of Lois and Clark with the ship. Yes. The pilot. You know, so you, you, get, the, you get those and everything. I mean, you get Brandon Routh, Superman Returns with the plane. So there's a history there. I also love that... 
again, you know, I, I mentioned the locations being able to do, but you have things like planes flying around and stuff like that, which I feel like TV is too cheap to do now, or the air is too busy to put a plane in the sky for real. Yeah, no, I thought that was really cool as well. And and to your point, I loved. So we have this bit towards the end where. Like we said, Clark knocks out Hadley, changes into Superman. He arrives at the cabin where the doctor is being held. He takes out all the bad guys. Like we said, there's the sequence, clearly a stuntman. He ducks from the gun, that, all that business. And yeah. I feel like it would have been so easy to go from that to the wrap-up at the Daily Planet. But they add this bit of, of tension where Superman realizes that the plane on autopilot with poor Hadley up there is out of fuel. So he now also has to rescue the plane. And again, it's just a few seconds. They could have easily filled that time with some more talking at either the cabin yeah. or the Delhi planet. I, th I thought that was a nice touch that they added this one more, you know, uh, this another instance of, of him needing to uh, make a save. Well, also I feel like if Hadley, if he had just left Hadley to land on his own with autopilot, we would have felt like the episode was missing something. Because it, it was, kind of, I mean, it was kind of like Superman's kind of a jerk, you know. He knocks the guy off and jumps out of his plane. No air pressure when he jumps out of the plane, mind you. But you know, it just was not very nice of him. But I did think it was weird, like I said about uh, how everybody's like, "Well, where were you, Clark? Well, I was in the plane with him, and it almost crashed, or something like that." Like, how did he explain to Hadley why he wasn't on the plane anymore? Well, so I, so, okay. So when we go back to the Daily Planet at the very end and Clark and Hadley okay. walking in, there's this, you know, Clark's cover story is that Hadley, despite blacking out, was still able to land the plane. Right. Which, again, makes no sense. I To your point, I feel like it, it <laughs> would have been a better cover to be just like, hey, you passed out and I put it in autopilot and then I was able to, I, I don't know, or he could make up that he or had some sort of experience. Superman flew underneath and saved us. Because people probably saw Superman saving a plane. Yes, I know. I mean, I assume, <laughs> but the thing is, I assume, like, I assume Superman landed the plane and then he changed back mm -hmm. into Clark and he got back on the plane and he roused Hadley okay. and he was like, hey, Hadley, you, you landed this plane, even though you were blacked out. And he was like, oh, wow. Okay, that makes <laughs> sense. But I still think the Superman cover story would make more sense and it would take suspicion off of Clark. Totally. Like, that's the thing. And but, for Hadley to go along with this idea that he was, I guess Hadley thinks pretty highly of himself. He's like, yeah, you know, you're right. That does sound like something I would do. <laughs> Unconsciously land a plane. I also liked that Stanton was not like a mad scientist. He actually had altruistic reasons for doing what he was doing. And like when, you know, when he was told, oh, you can make another machine. He's like, no, I don't want to. I thought that was really interesting. Totally. He still had a future in TV, though. He could have made... I mean, we could have been doing this Zoom call 30 years ago if Dr. Stanton's inventions were real. <laughs> not or not Zoom, uh, Ecamm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's true. Uh, I, I had that in my notes as well. I really I admired Stanton's heroism in this episode, and you see it a couple of times, because even before the rescue, once he realizes that his machine is resulting in death, multiple deaths... You know, he refuses to go along with it. At that point, Kranich has seen enough that he's able to work the machine on his own. But, you know, Stanton has this moment where he stands up to them, which I thought was great. And then even more so after Superman rescues him, uh, he, you know, Stanton destroys the machine. So he destroys, yeah. you know, his life's work. And, and, and his like, life's work, yeah. And like you said, he, you know, refuses to, to build another. And maybe this was for the kids, but, you know, Superman has this line about, you know, there, no matter what it is, there will always be people who, you know, are, are looking to turn something good, bad, or, you know, something to that effect. So, yeah. Uh, I, yeah, I like that. You're right. I mean, I think, I mean, obviously it would have changed the, the you know, all the business with, with Stanton and, and the tone of certain things, but, but yeah, I mean, if he had been more of a mad scientist, if he had been determined to rebuild or, or something like that, but I, there, yeah. there was a very human you know, good quality to him in, in recognizing the, the misuse of something that he cared so much about and his willingness to sacrifice it, um, which I, I think, and I think that like, it's cool to see, you know, Superman's the hero. He's going to make the rescues. He's going to do all of that, but to actually see the other people around him display heroism, I, I think is really cool. Yeah, I agree. Um, I feel like so much, so often on TV now, like you're either good or you're bad. Or you're like an anti-hero that becomes good eventually over a couple of seasons. But Hadley was, or not Hadley, uh, Stanton 
Yeah, I mean, he was a victim here. I mean, he did create something bad, but he didn't mean to. And I think, because I feel like now, like, like I think of the Lois and Clark episode, Meet John Doe, where he's, like, doing a mind machine thing to the world, pretty much. And, you know, how different that is. But the thing is, Tempest was, like, completely evil. I think, you know, Stanton wanted to do right and help people and, you know, improve mental health 70 years ago. And I think that's kind of cool. It really, so, it, thumbs up. It really is. And, <laughs> you, know, as you know, one of the things that I like to do on the show, of course, we're talking about each episode in and of itself, but also in the context of the larger show, but also in the context of the larger mythology. And, you know, we've mentioned, of course, Lois and Clark a number of times. And Lois and Clark is particularly relevant to mention, A, because I know it was such a huge part of your fandom and the beginnings of yes. what would become your your media empire here with K-Site TV huh. and, and all the shows that you cover on, on, the, on the journalism side. But also it's Lois and Clark, the new adventures of Superman. So it, you know, yeah. it invokes the title of this show and in much the same way, it focuses on the core Daily Planet staff and uh, you know, production wise, they're able to do more in the nineties, but it's still, it's still limited. And, but I think that, and of course the romantic component is a vastly different, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, impetus for the show, but, um, still this idea of, you know, kind of the limits making the artist, right. And having to tell stories that are reasonable on a TV budget, but it works in its own way. I do have a question about this show. Cause you were talking about no recurring like villains or anything like that, but does the relationship between Clark and Lois change over the six years as they become more familiar with each other? Not romantically, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I can't fully answer that because I have not seen all of the color years. I've seen all okay. of the first two seasons, which is 52 episodes. Uh, and then out of the 52 color episodes, I've only seen maybe a quarter of them. So okay. I think what changes a lot is Noel Neal is a much softer version of Lois. Uh, so I think that changes the dynamic a little bit. I know as we get along, it becomes this recurring bit where Lois believes that Clark is Superman and, you know, <laughs> devises various tests to try to, to try to confirm that. So mm -hmm. uh, beyond that, that's something we'll kind of have to track as we move along. I couldn't say for sure, but not, I, I, not in like as, as developed or meaningful a way as we would, we probably like, I guess. And another question I have, um, I noted earlier that uh, there wasn't a lot of Jimmy in this episode. I think he's only in one scene and has like two lines. Is that something that changes as the show goes on? And are there multiple season one episodes with very little Jimmy like this? There are. So, so far, uh, and again, I have seen all of the first couple of seasons. But yeah, I mean, there are episodes where, you know, Perry's not in it or Jimmy's not in it. Oh, okay, interesting. Uh, I feel like this is a little bit unusual that he was there so briefly. You know, yeah. like if he were just not there at all, that would have been more in keeping with some of, of what we've seen before. So that was, I think that was a little bit unusual. I, you know, I had a similar thought too, as I was thinking back, I was like, wait a minute, but that was his only scene. <laughs> so he, yeah, you know, he pops well, up to be like, like Hey Clark, Hallie's in your office. And then that's it. But the first time I watched this episode, you know, I got to the end. I was like, was Jimmy even in this? So I had to watch it again just to be sure. And you know, you just said that one line, he's not even Jimmy, he's Jim. And that's it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, I mean, with the exception of George Reeves, of course, yeah, they're not all in every episode. Uh, certainly Lois is, is a very regular presence, but for example, the second episode that we talked about the haunted lighthouse, she's not in that one. Uh, so it's definitely a mix, but yeah, I would say this was kind of unusual to have Jim there, but so briefly. So I don't know if there was something okay. production wise that, that accounted for that or if, you know, I, I don't know. Or maybe like Hadley filled the role that Jimmy would have had. Like maybe Jimmy would have gone on a plane or something and got knocked out. Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? I don't think Clark would have just left Jimmy on a plane to land by itself, but whatever. Yeah, <laughs> that was, that was, uh, that like going into this rewatch, the two things that had stood out to me the most from the first time I watched this, uh, again, a couple of years ago was just, uh, knocking out Hadley and, and just the premise with his mind machine and how this was different, you know, different yeah. than the seven episodes that had come before in a, in a good way, but it, it definitely stood out in that sense. Well, when we talked about which episode to do, like, I was like, Oh, that sounds good. So I was like very excited to see this cause I'd never seen it. 
it was yeah it was so i'm glad we watched this one thank you for having me on no my pleasure thank you for doing it the i would say the last piece of the episode and i had alluded to it earlier but i just wanted to circle back to was we got to this point again we see the first witness you know lose it on the stand and then and then again have that runaway bus chase and superman stops it and uh you know, he's this witness is slumped over in the driver's seat, and Lois says, "Is he dead?" And, and Superman confirms, "Yes, he is." Again, first season, pretty grim. Not only does he die, but yeah. then we have the headlines about the subsequent witnesses also dying. Again, I feel like in subsequent seasons they probably just would have been in a coma or unconscious. Oh my gosh! <laughs> but here, I feel like in TV now they would have been in a coma or unconscious. Yeah, yeah, that's probably true. Uh, and Superman's also very quick to render his medical opinion. When that first witness dies, he's like, his mind was damaged and he lost his ability to think and reason and he died. It's like, all right. (laughs) Okay. I can hand wave that. Okay. (laughs) I assume he just used his x-ray vision to look at his mind and see everything's just all fried. I'll go with that. You know, his organs aren't moving anymore, so he's dead. I'll go with that. But what, (laughs) what, what I can't hand wave is. Okay. Clark, after the third witness dies, (laughs) Clark and Hadley go to the senator who's running these hearings. And they're like, hey, Mm -hmm. you got to postpone this. And the senator's basically like, look, I got a schedule to keep here and we don't have unlimited funds. So we just have to take our chances. It's probably just a coincidence. It's like you have three witnesses who change their testimony and then die from brain damage. Like, I don't know, every day it seems. So what kind of testimony is given in a room that, that, that is that crowded? Uh, yeah. I, well, <laughs> and also speaking to the sophistication of yeah. the machine, not only does it have this, this vast radius, the ability to project an image see? <laughs> to yeah. see, uh, but it's also able, it's pinpoint accuracy that even in this crowded room, <laughs> it's like two dozen people all it, crowded around the conference guy. table. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, also I feel like, you know, I was, you know, I was thinking, Anybody who was watching this, you know, like if this were like a real situation, would know that guy was being coerced into saying it because it was so unnatural. Right. So that I don't know. That was a little weird, too, but I can. Uh, Whatever. It's it's TV. It's fun. It's a Superman story. And, you know, to what you said earlier, it's very golden age. And that's a lot of fun. I mean. It was something that crossed my mind last night that when watching this episode, Superman had only existed for 14 years. That's the equivalent of like 2009 for us. Like, that's insane. I know. Like, Superman Returns was longer ago than that. It, it is crazy. And <laughs> they know. made these in 1951, so only 13 years. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> when they made it. Yeah. No, I, I do but, think about that a lot, for sure. And just the fact that they got the characters so well after such a short time. Though we could argue that a show like this or the radio shows, you know, they may have inspired what our impression of Superman is. Because that's the version that people got to know. You know, like in pop culture and that sort of thing. And that's cool. I think that's a very fair point. And I... I I always have that in mind. I think, you know, I so saw on my other show, Digging for Kryptonite, which you were a guest on. We talked all about yes. how you built up Krypton side. And we talked about Smallville. And it, was, it was a lot of fun. And that was about two years ago that we recorded that. So if anyone missed that, it's one of our yeah. earliest episodes of Digging for Kryptonite. But, you know, on that show, I, I did spend some time going through pre-crisis Superman, sort of sampling stories from each era. And, you know, one of the things that I, I guess I always knew objectively, rationally, but I hadn't really pondered was in the golden age, how Superman had permeated (laughs) pop culture relatively early because yes, it was the comics, but it was the newspaper strips and the radio show and the Fleischer cartoons and the Kirk Allen serials. And then this show, there was a lot that happened relatively early on. And, you know, we're all well familiar with, you know, aspects of the character that, you know, uh, debuted in a medium other than the comics and then made their way over. And we're also very familiar. (laughs) And, you know, you and I, and, and I'm sure most people, uh, listening or watching as well, you know, are well familiar with how, how these, these adaptations in other media are so formative for, for us, but also, like you said, for the public at large, and it it really can shape the way we see these characters. And then that, you know, bleeds back into the comic. So yeah, it's a huge impact. Well, it's like there's a generation 
that probably thinks Clark Kent and Lex Luthor knew each other in Smallville. Yep. You know what I mean? Uh, or they think Lex always had a father named Lionel who was in the comics. That's true. Or that there was a meteor shower when Superman came to Earth. And then, of course, there's also the varying are the Kents dead or not question, which kind of passes through every version of the story. Yeah. And then when they did New 52, I couldn't even answer that question. I don't even know now. Is Jonathan is still dead in the comics now, right? Currently, they are both alive. What? Okay. Never mind. So not, that's a totally different story. <laughs> yeah, just real, real quick. They Jonathan did die uh, pre fifty two in the Jeff Johns. Yes, I remember in the Brainiac yeah. storyline, and then we had the new fifty two where they were both dead. Then we had the rebirth era where the pre, the post crisis and fi- new fifty two versions of the character were essentially merged. But initially, the Kents were still dead. After Doomsday Clock, they were restored. <laughs> And and have okay. remained and have remained uh, part of the comics since. So hopefully it stays that way. That's my uh, that's that's my preferred version of the story. We see it keeps going back and forth. Okay, so you never yeah, know. I didn't know. <laughs> yeah, it always keeps going back and forth, and you never know. So okay, that's fair. Uh, but I really this was this was a lot of fun. Was there anything else about this episode that you wanted to say or talk about that we didn't? Um, not necessarily just the fact that I love the pop culture impact this series had on the world at the time. I mentioned that I love Lucy episode, which if you haven't seen it, people, you should watch it. It's one of the best. Uh, but you know, you've had Superman, they did like a Superman sell savings bonds type episode, didn't they? At one point, a public service announcement. And, you know, like, I feel like characters like Jimmy Olsen became so popular because of the series and it's like the theme music, the, you know, the S I know the color episodes have the real Superman logo from the time at the beginning of the episodes. And that's always fun. Um, It just, um, and it's also kind of amazing to me. This show was always syndicated. Wasn't it? It was, was it ever a network show? No, I believe it was always in, in syndication. That's and it was one of the first shows shot in color. Yeah. So I mean, there's so many milestones with this series, and I think we should all be grateful for what it brought to us because I mean, it just made the the Superman more richer. Well, so that's all I have to say about that. <laughs> the last thing that we do at the end of these episodes is we do give our rating uh, for the episode. I use okay. a uh, Fedora rating system. Uh, going back to the style of the day. So how many fedoras would you give this episode on a scale of, of one to five? I know I, I meant to prep you with this ahead of time. So I am really putting you on the spot here, but okay. just curious what your gut at a one to five, how many would you give this episode? I'll give it four fedoras and maybe add a tie to that. <laughs> you know, one of Clark's ties. I like that. Just I to might change work. things up a little bit. I like that. <laughs> I, I i've been uh, i've been a little stingy in my fedoras thus far i've not given a five yet this is going to be my first five okay and that's not to say it's my favorite episode of the series oh, or that i think it's the, or that i think it's the absolute best but i think it's really strong i think this was kind of firing on all cylinders i, I get really moved uh and as much as it's funny because it's not like the action is such a draw for me. I, I really like all the Daily Planet stuff. I like the investigating. I, I, I don't need yeah. I don't need a ton of Superman action, but I just I really appreciated what they did. I thought it was really cool, and I just had a lot of fun watching this. So I'm gonna go five for this one. So there we go. First five of the series so far. <laughs> awesome. So I'm glad you got to see one that you enjoyed, and I got to watch it too. Yeah, this was a blast. Thank you. Where can people go if they want to check out KSite TV? Where can they follow online? What would you like to direct people to? Ah, well, Krypton site still exists. That's what I always say when I'm on a podcast. So kryptonsite.com, there's ksitetv.com. And I believe my Instagram for Krypton site is Krypton site official because somebody else swiped the Krypton site name. So if you want to go there, you know, I, I don't update it enough, but it's there. But yeah, I just, I have so much fun writing about Superman stuff, revisiting some of these things. And so it's kind of fun to see a part of the lore that, you know, I'm not as familiar with. So thank you for that. 
Yeah, absolutely. And I know, you know, we talked about this when uh, you were on uh, the other show, so I don't want to rehash the whole thing, but, you know, we're both massive Smallville fans and obviously, you know, you built up Krypton site. And like I said at the time, you know, now we have social media and now there are more ways to connect with each other, but man, like it was, it was so much fun to, and not even just fun, but, but informative and um, not that I was even an active participant posting on the message boards on Krypton site, but just reading mm-hmm. and following along with the discussion and seeing what other people were talking about. I mean, and not to mention reading all the news and reviews and spoilers and like all that stuff, yeah. but it was, it was just such a beyond a resource. I mean, it, it was really this community that, that you had built uh, and, and it, it added to the fan, to my fandom of the show. And, and I don't know to what extent, oh this podcast might do that for other fans of Adventures of Superman, but it's like that kind of idea of creating the space to have the conversation, I think is so important. And so I, you know, I thank you for, for doing that. Well, I thank you for going there. I wish more people still posted on the forums, especially now that, you know, Twitter's kind of going down the toilet. Like the forums are still there. If you want to talk about this stuff, I promise I won't be a biased moderator. If you want to talk about like, certain movies that I'm not as fond of or something like that. (laughs) Right on, right on. Whatever I might be referring to, (laughs) but yeah, I would love to see people talking again though. Like, I think that would be awesome. Uh, It makes me kind of sad. The forums are kind of a ghost town now, like maybe like five regular posters and there were like 50,000 registered at one time, but who knows what the future will bring. Exactly. Yeah. You never know. Uh, but in the meantime, I hope everyone will, will check out Krypton site and case TV and follow along on social. Thank you, Craig. Thank you audience. Uh, and make sure that you come back in two weeks for our next all new episode. We'll see you then. Adventures await. This show is part of the flat squirrel podcast network home to digging for kryptonite. Another exciting episode in the adventures of Superman summoning the Zords and my comic shop history available wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe and leave a review today. Sign up at patreon.com slash anthonydesiato for additional content. Thank you all.